AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. So, hey, John, looks like we have another crypto malware story to, to cover. This one having to do with something with Apache. Yeah. So uh, Apache Solar is a um, software package. You know, Apache has a whole bunch of suite of uh, software packages. Solar is kind of like a search functionality that you can add to your website. And uh, there was a bug that came out towards the end of last year. People didn't patch for it. Not everybody did, apparently. And there's an actor going around now leveraging that remote code execution exploit to install Monero-based cryptocurrency miner on those servers. So it's kind of interesting that we're seeing a lot more, instead of ransomware or just malware or other things like that, we're seeing lots of uh, cryptocurrency mining as the trend lately of what gets deployed on compromised uh, assets. The other upside to this for the bad guy is that servers usually have more horsepower. So um, they probably have a little bit better performance aspect in terms of cryptocurrency mining with these. Mining with a server, um, clearly, you know, horsepower equates to more money, right? The faster the processor, the more you can mine coins for. They estimate maybe that they could generate the equivalent of $226,000 in Monero. And I think Monero might be easier to mine than some of these other, like Bitcoin and whatnot, because it's a relatively new currency. My understanding is that it's computationally at this point less expensive to mine Monero than like Bitcoin. Okay. Uh, just the computation that you have to do is not as expensive. But yeah, this, this bug was first announced in October, and there, were, there have been exploits out since a week after the announcement. So uh, obviously 1,400 of them, or 1,700 I think was another number I saw. The, there have been additional exploits since the first story came out. Folks need to be patching that immediately. The patch has been out for for months. Right, well, hopefully we can raise a little awareness to the problem yeah. uh, through this. And um, But it does seem like, you know, 1,400, 1,700, not a lot of deployments of it when yeah. you look at an entire universe of software populations. But, you know, for a single actor, that's pretty significant in terms of having some compute power all collected together. Right. So it might have slipped under the radar a little bit because a lot of these bugs, when they come out, they're impacting millions of devices or something, or millions of WordPress sites are vulnerable. Right. You know, that gets a big splash in the headlines. But when it's, you know, a couple thousand Apache solar servers out there are vulnerable, not so much of a splash, so maybe people didn't notice. So um, obviously this bad actor did notice and has taken advantage of it. The cryptocurrency mining trend has been kind of going out of control lately. Uh, I think like every week we've been covering a story about some aspect of cryptocurrency mining or uh, theft. So uh, it's definitely here to stay. Yes, this is on a server. Servers typically have a more stringent policy for deploying patches to, but you have to do it, right? I mean, you have to, pa you have to patch your servers. It's an easy fix for this thing. If you're patched, you're not vulnerable. You don't have to worry about it. Hey, Jim, uh, we talk about DDoS attacks all the time, and it sounds like you're looking into uh, a DDoS attack over a protocol we don't normally see it happen over. 
I, I've been wondering how long it was going to take, but it's finally happened. Uh, New Star reported that they detected the the first true native DDoS attack over IPv6. You know, we, we've talked about IPv6 for a number of years, and there's growing percentage of the traffic on the internet is actually using IPv6. Well, most people are familiar with IPv4. It's a routing protocol for the internet that's based on four octets. And uh, what they realize is that address space, it's not that big. So many, many years ago, they developed IPv6, which is a much larger address space. With an IPv4 uh, DDoS attack, we have mechanisms, we know how to, to some extent, how to deal with them. Obviously, you need to deal with them upstream from where the victim actually is. But the question is, you know, do our defenses work as well for IPv6? In the IPv4 world, you could do things like creating block lists, you know, that you would run in your, your state tables. But now with, the, with how much space we're talking about in IPv6, that's no longer going to be an option for us. It's, it's an issue that I've been worrying about for six or seven years, actually. Is with IPv6 coming, how, how well prepared are we for actually handling when the bad guys start moving their attacks over to IPv6? Yeah, I know most major websites are using IPv6, and a lot of consumer ISPs have been adopting it as well. Like you said, the ability to just ride an attack over IPv6, that might be missed by some players. Right. There are issues that I don't think we've really spent enough time talking about. Some people, I'm sure, have been thinking about this for a long time. But, you know, I haven't heard a lot of public discussion on, on how we deal with some of that. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that kind of worries me, and I don't, I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that when people really start adopting IPv6 in consumer spaces, that they don't throw away their firewalls in the process because they have all this address space that they can assign to all their devices. Please do not throw away your firewalls. Please still net. Have something going on because I, I worry that, you know, it's going to expose everybody's equipment inside their houses to the internet at large. And that we know how that gets, right? Yeah, e even if you're not netting all of the devices, don't allow inbound traffic to all of your devices. Right. We know DDoS attacks have not, you know, abated. Mm -hmm. uh, there's still a lot of actors out there using that as a means to get their message across, even if it's just for a moment. So being prepared for IPv6 based ones is something to be, be wary of and be prepared for. It's a tough one. It's a tough, I think it's one that we're going to have to consider and do some more research on in terms of what are the defensive measures that we're going to be able to put in place for IPv6? So I think people should pay close attention to what they're revealing on the internet or what services are being exposed to the internet for their IPv6 infrastructure and make sure they're not exposing something they shouldn't be that could be compromised. We want folks to start using secure websites, especially 
you know, obviously if you're using sensitive information like credit card information, anything that's using uh, passwords, you know, clearly you want to use a secure website. Google in the Chrome browser, they've been doing a lot of things, Google, to encourage people to migrate to SSL uh, for their web servers and websites. July of this year, Google is finally going to, with Chrome 68, start labeling all these uh, HTTP web pages completely not secure. Okay. So they're well, not going to mince any. Incognito mode or not, not right, you're going to see it in your browser as being not exactly. secure. There will be no distinction. It'll be, hey, look, if you're, if you're doing HTTP, you're just going to get the not secure. Even if you don't have sensitive information or you don't take login credentials and passwords and things of that nature, it's still going to show, if you're HTTP only, it's going to say not secure. And people, your visitors to your website might misinterpret that as, well, why are, why are they not secure? And then this particular article actually goes into like looking at how difficult it is for, like let's just say, a layman's user out there that decided to, hey, I've got a small business, I'm going to set up a website. How hard is it for me to set up a secure website? Mm -hmm. So they went and looked at the uh, top five web hosting companies out there. What, you know, what they found was that out of the 13 packages that they had um, looked at, 12 of them offered SSL, and six of them included it um, in their in their 12-month plans. So, you know, again, it's interesting that some of these companies will actually make you pay for these, but yet there's, you know, if you're savvy enough, you can go out and, and sort of get a free certificate from one of these other companies. Yeah, and I and I have kind of mixed feelings. I mean, in general, certainly if you're passing credentials or or things like you know bank accounts and credit cards and that kind of stuff, absolutely that should all be encrypted. Yep. But you know the the content of you know of my blog, for example, don't know that encrypting it is absolutely necessary, but it, it's going to happen. So I guess I need to just deal with it. Yeah, suck it up. <laughs> I'm kind of in the same boat as Jim. It's got pros and cons. I think in um, for the general population, I think HTTPS encryption is probably a good idea. It does make it more difficult for the security analysts, especially with malware when we're trying to sort out, is this activity malware related or is it a regular user doing something? So it makes it a little difficult for a very small population of people, but for the general population, uh, people on the internet, I think it's a good thing. I mean, it was easier before to ignore the, the little lock with the open lock, but now when it says not secure, I think it's another like sort of in your face, why, why does that say right. not secure? Why is it not secure? If you're a business owner and you're competing with your other competitors, they're all HTTPS, they're probably going to be ranked higher in Google search results because Google is, and they have been doing this, uh, ranking HTTPS websites higher than the HTTP ones. All right, well, that's interesting. I guess we'll see how that shakes out, but it definitely seems like they're, um, they're giving people a swift kick in the pants to oh, yeah. um, move their stuff over to HBS uh, encrypted. Since Chrome is a very popular browser, I think it's gonna be in front of people's eyes a lot more, and it's gonna encourage even these kind of regular websites that might not have sensitive information on them to be encouraged to add SSL to their website so that it doesn't say not secure when their visitors visit their website. I'm always going to err on the side of security. 
And hopefully what we can do is we can create a method by which it is very painless for somebody to move from non-secure to secure. All right, I thought we'd take a look at the internet weather for this week, Manny. And uh, this is the most probe ports where we've seen the most scanning activity. Uh, nothing surprising that we haven't really covered before. 8545 might not be familiar to people. That's the Ethereum wallet. There's a vulnerability there. So there's still a few actors out there aggressively scanning for it. Um, the other ones that are kind of notable maybe are 21 and 20. They both can, came up, especially 20. Uh, they're related to FTP. 20 TCP is the control channel port. Uh, for FTP. It's not a lot of sources involved in the activity. I didn't take a really deep dive into it, but it's not botnet related specifically that I could see, you know, some certain actors out there looking for open FTP servers, things of that nature. Uh, so on this slide, we have, um, these are the ones that are doing most of the scanning, 5431 TCP. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's a bit of a mystery. We'll take a closer look at it. Um, FTP's in here again, SSH is in here. 81 TCP, I actually do have a slide for this one, so we'll talk about that. And then 5555 TCP um, is in here again. Uh, this one's been up for the past, yeah, maybe three or four weeks or so now. Uh, and we'll tell you why. So 5431 TCP, I feel like this one, the more I looked into it, the more confused I got. There's about 90,000 scan sips per hour um, is where it's peaking out at around, but they're very short spikes of activity uh, for maybe an hour or two where all 90,000, they like scan this port 5431 and then they stop, which is not, botnets typically don't work like that. The other thing I noticed is that um, there's probably about a three or four day uh, cycle here that they seem to repeat, uh, but these brief spurts and stops is not typically what we see with botnet stuff. Usually they start and then they decay over a little bit longer period of time. It's not usually this precise in terms of spiking like that. It's possibly related to a Broadcom universal plug and play format string exploit that was kind of uh, discovered maybe a year or two ago. I checked our honeypots. I have no scan probes against me for this port. So I'm hoping maybe I'll catch them to see what they're trying to do. The other thing I thought was really interesting when I actually looked at the flow traffic is that while they're scanning port 5431, they're fixing their source port to be port six, which is really weird. And you can see when I look at TCP source port six, this is a packet count, it lines up yeah. almost exactly with um, this activity and when it occurs. And I can see that in the flow traffic. So. I uh, don't really have an explanation for that. So I think it needs more investigation. I don't know if it's malicious or legitimate or what it is, but it's new. We hadn't seen it you know, prior to about a month ago, and now we do, and I'd like to understand what is this about? Why is this happening? So when I looked at a bunch of these sources, I kind of did just, it's a lot of them, so it's 90,000 some sources. Many of them, I would say most actually, have this port 4567 open, which is a TR69 port. Uh, which is for remote management. A lot of them also, but not all of them, have uh, on port 80, this micro HTTPD service running on it, announcing itself as broadband router. So I don't know what to make of that all yet, but you can see it's almost basically the entire world of where people use the internet. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's interesting, I'm not sure what to make of it. We'll follow up on it, but it's number three in terms of the top scan sources. So I thought we should probably try to figure out what's going on here. 
a mystery right now as to what it may be. And hopefully John, um, as he mentioned, might be able to capture some of these packets in the uh, honeypots. And if we can capture some of the traffic uh, on those honeypots, we might be able to figure out what it is that this traffic is actually telling us. So the next one that I want to look at real quickly is port 81 TCP. I'm actually showing a 120 day chart for this one. 81 TCP kind of came into the consciousness sometime last year because there was a remote code execution exploit against the go ahead web server, which is a really popular web server. It's a little tight web server that they install on a lot of these IoT devices. So somebody found a remote code execution exploit against that, which allows you to basically do whatever you want on the device. So people have been installing malware. Um, we've seen kind of little uh, decays. There's a drop, but then it came back and it kind of stayed steady. We've seen some spikes. There's a lot of activity there scanning for that. And I'm going to guess most of it is related to uh, actors or malware, botnets, seeking out more devices, listening on that, probably for go-ahead web server or other similar types of um, alternative HTTP web services running on that port. And then the last one I have here is port 5555 TCP. We've talked about this on the show. So somebody discovered that there are a bunch of devices out there with this port open and listening. And this is actually the Android uh, debugger uh, service. They found about six and a half thousand devices out there, were able to compromise them. And since then they've been scanning this port quite a bit, trying to find more of themselves to recruit into their botnets. More than just phones. Phones are impacted, but um, more so it's probably uh, other types of Android-based IoT things. You know, there's a lot of these, um, you know, little set-top boxes and other types of devices that run Android as their core OS. Yep. And uh, they could potentially be exposed if they're directly connected to the internet. So uh, that's all we had for this week. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.